everybody. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I'm your host, Eliza Kelly, and I am here for the very first time with Alice Sparkly Cat, amazing <laughs> astrologer. That's also a joke for us because this is not the very first time we have been together trying to do this. This is round two podcast attempt. Um, these are some, these are our virtual uh, quarantine blues. And also, I think we tried to record during Mercury Retrograde, which was just a foolish gesture in general. But Alice is, has very generously um, <laughs> said that it, it was okay and we could try again. So I'm really, really glad that we're going to get to have this conversation um, all over again, just very much like the Ferris or the, uh, the Groundhog Day world we're living in at the moment in general in 2020. Um, I'm not sure if you're feeling this, Alice, but, you know, because of the intensity of the planets at the moment, um, they were intense the first in the first iteration of going over these certain degrees. And now that they are going retrograde over the same spots, I it's like the same conversations are being had on this macro scale, you know, like the same conversations about the schools that were happening when Saturn was at 28 degrees, 29 degrees. Now that, you know, in the spring, late winter, early spring are mm. right back again here, you know, all of these months. Oh later. man, like with reopening and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I just attended a meeting uh, with the DOE about reopening. Yes. It's, it's really interesting because, you know, it's so many of the, the conversations that existed and sort of the, the, that type that type of misinformation that was coming through um, in March and early April is exactly where we find ourselves now because of this upper you know this up and down and backwards and forwards motion of the planets which I feel like is playing out in so many ways just so very literally um, mm -hmm. and it's I know that a lot of people have cited, you know, um, Groundhog Day is this sort of like recurring, like every day of 2020 sort of feels like it's just on this weird feedback loop. I'm not sure if I feel that way. I feel like incredible mounting um, transformation is happening every day. But whew, well, anyway, so we have um, some, the work that you're doing in astrology, I just think is, is so fascinating and so refreshing and so important and um, even when we recorded our conversation a month ago initially I feel like I feel like I have sort of learned things uh, I'm learning things at like hyperspeed right now so even the information that I feel like you shared with me um, you know four weeks ago I'm probably going to metabolize differently now than I did then, which is really a testament to, you know, should you choose to lean into the offerings of this, uh, of these sort of shifted perspectives, um, what, what we can sort of resolve and what we can see and discern that we may not have been able to prior. So I would love for you to share a little bit about um, your background and your work and um, the book that you're writing, of course, and um, some of the things that you are passionate about within your practice. Uh, my name is Ace and um, well, like my astrologer name is Alice Barkley Cat. 
Yeah, I mean, I started doing astrology, like the client work part of it, I guess, like, you know, that's what kind of feels official, like five years ago. Um, and I'm working on a book called, uh, it's going to be called Postcolonial Astrology. It's going to come out next May, uh, 2021. I guess like the whole book is just about contextualizing Western astrology in Western history. Do you think that there is a proactive way of being able to shift the narratives of astrology to be more inclusive and to enable the process of us sort of you know, decolonializing our minds, so to speak? Well, I mean, the point of the book is actually not to make astrology, um, like Western astrology, more inclusive. Um, so the reason for that is because, like, a lot of the times, the West is actually seen as, like, a multicultural settler state. And um, this idea of, like, well, like, using um, anti-imperialism, using, like, post colonialism to kind of improve the West, um, like that's actually like something that happens a lot. Um, so the point of the book is not to improve upon Western astrology by um, like, you know, pulling people of color into it. Like that's not decolonization. Um, so the point of the book is to just understand like why Western astrology is louder than other astrologies. And I see. Um, yeah. I see. Mm -hmm. So why Western astrology is like in, so I get, so then you're, is it also an exploration of some of the other mm -hmm. um, practices like Vedic astrology and um, no. Yeah. Cause that's not this really book sounds very intriguing to me. <laughs> oh, <thanks. laughs> I, I am trying, I am like, wh what will this, like this Holy grail of me being able to hopefully deepen and have a more enriched practice offer <laughs> I, that is oh yeah the well like so it doesn't go into non-western astrologies at all um because you know like i that's not really like my lane um i i'm a person who's produced by the west um who who has uh who has a racialized presence here and who is a settler so it's like you know it's really just my job to um confront and try to min minimize the West. Yeah, I don't go into like what's outside of the West. Mm -hmm. The book is really just about um, contextualizing, understanding what is the West through all these narratives related to each uh, of the seven planetary archetypes. So I remember in our round one conversation, you were, you were sharing some really interesting thoughts on the moon and the archetypes associated with that lunar body um would you share some of those with us now yeah or maybe do you want to talk about the sun this time Hell i yeah. feel like everyone knows about their sun sign and then yes um, i think that that would be okay wonderful. cool yes perfect um so yeah the book goes over the sun um it goes over like again like all seven of the planets it starts off with the sun of course. Why? Yeah. Not? <laughs> yeah. When I was going to start with Saturn, but then I decided, okay, just start with the sun. Well, Saturn <laughs> can handle not going first, you know, yeah. the sun would buy, if you, if, if we didn't start with the sun, it, the sun, by the time you got to it would be like, oh, bitch, like, I'm not even, don't even make a chapter on me. Just eclipse me. Why not? You know? Yeah. The sun takes up a lot of space. <laughs> it does. Um, well, 
you know, like, I feel like a lot of times when we're looking at the sun through just a lot of contemporary astrology, whether that's pop astrology or other astrologies, like, we think about the sun as, like, this life-giving force um, because it gives, like, so much light. It makes everything on the earth grow. Um, and that's how we kind of treat the sun. It's like, oh, that's the sort of source of your life and power. Um, we associate the sun a lot with power. So um, I looked at the sun in terms of like Western astrology in something, well, you know, like the, um, the first thing I started off, like where the narrative starts off, because like as I'm creating this narrative, I'm choosing sources. Um, it's not like I'm, it's not like the sources that I say are the only sources. I'm choosing sources. Um, the first one is, um, is the sun in Egypt. Like there was a period uh, there's basically this like new god the sun god and um, the sun was this like really abstract god it was just this disc a circle whereas um, before that and after that because like this king's uh, Akhenaten like his his ring like with the new sun god was like pretty short it was just his lifetime um, but the sun was really associated with this abstraction um, a lot of the other times we see the sun as this kind of eye. You know, when you think of the sun, you think of all these rays of light radiating out. But actually, that's how a lot of people thought about the eye, too. It was like these lines of sight radiating out. Well, like, you know, the sun's also associated with gold. Um, gold is the sun's metal. They actually are the same symbol, too. Gold and the sun have the same, that circle with the dot in it, which also looks like an eye. I see. Yep. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like gold, gold has an interesting history because most of the time, like gold wasn't spent like silver. Um, gold was accumulated by these uh, like churches or temples and gold was like really buried into the ground. Um, like a lot of times we think of gold as being mined out of the ground, but it was buried into the ground and it was traded in terms of like gifts for the elites. Uh, so that's kind of like the, I don't know, the economic value of gold. It's, it wasn't really something that everyone had access to. It was something that was really associated with the monarch, with the sovereign. And with these, um, what the bearing of gold did was it created these cultural capitals. So the sun is associated with capital. That's so interesting. And um, I, I have this little catchphrase called tank, which means there are no coincidences. And from, I just had a recording yesterday with astrologer Rick Levine, who's just amazing. And we spent a little bit of time talking about, you know, just like the, all of the stuff, you know, the mm -hmm. geopolitical, astrological, mundane climate okay. going back and forth through history. And we, it, we briefly talked about um, Uranus and Taurus and, which it is currently. And the last time that Uranus was in Taurus was when the United States um, was, was when the gold standard was mm -hmm. eradicated. Yep. And I have been thinking about that for the past 24 hours of like this tangible material, this object that is, that has this you know, every, nothing, I mean, everything is an implied value, but that there was sort of like, you know, the ounces of it equaled a certain amount of money. And then in my mind over the past 24 hours, I also found my way all the way back to 
the Reformation time, mm-hmm. which was in the 1518, the last or the last Saturn Pluto conjunction in Capricorn. And what the Protestant reaction to what the rebellion to in that moment was to the Catholic Church, which had become so opulent and so ornate. And I was thinking just yesterday about all of the gold and mm-hmm. everything being gold leafed. And it was like just the most, you know, pillars were gold leafed, ceilings were gold leafed, like mm-hmm. everything was just like all of the church was built out of this in- insanely expensive commodity. Mm-hmm. And yet it was also, you know, the stratification in society of you know, if there was all of this money to build these gold temples, like why wasn't it going to the people? So then obviously the Protestant Reformation was like, let's strip down to the basics. Let's get all of this, you know, ornate shit out of here and just get back to the God, which has its own, you know, storyline and implications. But I was specifically thinking about the goldness of it. And my mother's maiden name actually also happens to be Golden. So it was just interesting. I was just sort of, and I'm a Leo son. So I was just kind of thinking about like how, you know, how like, prob- I don't know, like problematizing gold, you know, it's as it like it being this sort of interesting symbol to track. And I hadn't in all of this thinking thought about it in relation to the sun, but it's yes, the sun is associated with gold and all of the, uh, that also, I guess, as you're saying, includes all of the, the issues that come with it, too. Yeah, like the, uh, the word sacred is actually associated with gold because it's about the hoarding of gold in, um, you know, like places that are cut out of like mundane reality, which are goldless. Um, but yeah, like, so, um, yeah, I think we were talking about like how gold was like hoarded by like churches and stuff. Well, like, you know, you were talking about the Protestant Revolution and, um, like, that was really a commercial revolution. So, like, the old aristocrats, um, they were actually interested in, um, in, like, creating capital by, well, like, hoarding these, this gold, giving it to each other, um, but also, like, with just, um, yeah, like, keeping the number of poor people, like, pretty low. The Protestants, like, they were mostly, like, more commercial. So they actually needed a lot of poor people, to, like, as workers. So it was, like, a kind of a change in terms of, like, how we think of capital. And capital, like, we're talking about in terms of the capital of a nation state and also, like, you know, like, capital. Like, what happened during World War II is that there was a huge influx of gold into Europe. And that was coming mostly from uh, Africa, from South Africa. So, uh, like, basically what happened was, like, all the gold was mined out of uh, Africa. This is, like, the creating of, like, modern South Africa. It's called the Mineral Revolution. The gold was buried into New York and London in these underground vaults. So gold was taken out of the ground and then reburied somewhere else. So, like, when we think about, like, what's the these cultural capitals in the world it has to do with this like taking um taking this extraction and then we talk more about extraction with uh, mercury because mercury is associated with extraction um it follows the sun around um it it was actually used during the um gold processing like process and um 
Yeah. So um, then, like, in the book, we talk about, like, you know, we start off with the sun. Oh, like, it's about life a lot of the times. Um, but actually, like, if you think about, like, what capitals are, we think about them as the center that attracts a huge amount of gold. Um, it, we think of them as, like, kind of exporting culture outwards. But, um, and this is the post-colonial aspect Um Capitals are actually like centers that distribute death outwardly um, towards the colonies, towards anyone who's not considered like culturally of the capital. And what capitals do is that it also um, extracts life matter, vital energy towards the capital. So like we can see that in terms of like, you know, like you buy a banana and the banana that you're eating is produced in the Philippines, where there's chemical compounds used in the plantations that are not legal here because it produces mass sterilization. So it's distributing that death outwardly. Um, and then the, um, the, we see this with like um, organ markets, with um, surrogate births. Like, you know, people in the cultural capitals of the West will actually export the labor of birth, um, find surrogate mothers like in, um, in former colonies and take um, like what has been birthed, like the child um, back to the capital. If you think about it in terms of just like theater too, because it's associated with light, um, it's also like really associated with theater. And um, theater, it began like as a tool of monarchy to kind of assert itself. And then with the cities, like this development of artificial lighting, um, this development of nightlife. Um, and then we see all these things that are about how, like, uh, how artificial light is like the rays of the sun. It's disinfecting. And uh, there's this whole kind of like war on poverty where, um, where, uh, where poor people were seen as like kind of like just like inhabiting these like dark musty places. And like, we think about, um, I guess, like, the sun is this white light as being, like, very sterile and sanitizing. Um, so it is actually a distributor of death, and it's experienced as a distributor of death. So it's, I'm having more tank experiences here because I, just yesterday, I, my mom actually showed me a TikTok video, which was a real mindfuck, but it was this, this, comedian whose name is Sarah Cooper and she's done all of these wonderful videos where she basically takes clips of sound bites from Trump and then acts them out like basically you know is you know like lip syncs to them as if she was him saying it but it puts it in a different she's also you know a, a, a woman of color uh, she is she it's like interesting to sort of see to hear his words coming out of her mouth and he she in it one of the things that he said was like talking about the uv light and how that could kill the virus and then he was like not uv just any any big light any strong light and it was just like such a ridiculous like what the fuck you know it like really contextualizes how what the fuck it is like the like all of the things he says but because we're so used to him delivering that information it's like we almost lose sight of how ridiculous it is the types of things he's saying i mean we don't but we do um but that's actually been part of like uh, part of white history 
um, just this idea that white light can kill pathogens. That's I, that's crazy. Re, like people of color are seen as like infection sites um, in terms of like immigration, but also in terms of like sex workers. So yeah, that has a lot. That has a long history and a lot of real consequences. That's so interesting. Uh, I you know in particular like just you know seeing it yesterday you know being able to sort of reprocess it through you know being able to hear the sound bite and have a comedian sort of act out what it meant and like you know have a you know be able to like interpret it through a different lens it was so such an odd thing to imagine this per like how uv no but not even uv any bright light would be able to do that and i think that that really does completely supports what you're saying and what the history of that is because it did feel so like the fuck are you talking about i mean also drinking bleach i mean if we that also feels very much like it it could be a very loaded thing as well i mean not just a stupid thing but something that does mm -hmm. have a lot of racist and very symbolic undertones yeah yeah just that you're whitening because like when he says bright light he's really meaning a white light it's so interesting to see you know, I, I, I guess I'm curious, like with the type of work and the research that you're doing um, and how many different generations and decades and centuries you're like sifting through and learning about right now, how do you feel like all of that is informing your perception of, of this moment in time that we're living in? Of this moment in time? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, like, I don't know. I'm in quarantine, like, still, like, I'm, like, I don't know. I'm feeling, like, a little bit depressed, honestly, at this moment in time. Yeah, I, I feel that, too, as well. I think I'm talking about this so much with guests because I'm trying to figure out how, I'm trying to get some insight that might be helpful to me. So I had been, you know, like the Leo son that I am, by the second half of 2019, I started being very ballsy and talking about, you know, what the 2020 astrology was going to look like and, you know, just sort of be telling people like this is really unprecedented for our lifetime, like just, you know, be aware. And now and then, you know, I had spent so much time talking about 2020 and 2020 is playing out to be just, you know, it, it's, it really is delivering on those fronts. Um, but the next thing that I'm worried about, and I haven't, don't, I don't have as much of a, I don't really have a, a solution. I mean, I don't have a solution for 2020 either, but I really feel like this one is particularly, I don't know, I'm very sensitive to it, which is the idea of people um, exploiting what is going on and fear-mongering and creating these, you know, like just the propagation of conspiracy theories, really. And especially, you know, I'm seeing so much of this within the spiritual and mystical community. And I'm getting so many DMs that, you know, are telling me to wake up. I should be like, I, I don't, I should watch a Netflix documentary. I should watch a documentary by a stunt guy in Hollywood. Like it's, I, I just, it's, I feel very inundated with this, like, to me, what feels like brainwashed, alt-right propaganda 
then being sort of redistributed into thinking that that's consciousness and like 5D thinking, I think they're calling it. But it just feels daunting. It feels very scary to me. Um, do you have you observed any of that? And if you have, do you have any thoughts on it? And I wonder if any of the research that you're doing could also maybe historicize it in such a way that could make, I don't know, make it a little bit easier for me to handle and maybe our listeners as well. Yeah, I see. I didn't know that like the alt-right's been messaging people, you know, like all these conspiracy theories, like, cause I don't get those DMs. That's a little bit <laughs> concerning to me. It is. It's concerning to me too. I mean, I think that I, they don't know that it's all right. You know, it's mm -hmm. it because it's layered in other scapegoating, you know, it's layered in um, Epstein and Bill Gates. And then we go to 5G from there. And I watch some of these things that people sent because I was like, I, you know, they keep sending this shit to me. So like, fine, I'll watch this freaky ass YouTube video. I watched the entire thing wasted two hours of my fucking life on this. The end of the day, it seems to boil down to that there is some sort of Satan or Satan derivative that all of that Hollywood, the government, and all the governments of the world are reporting to. And that is, I guess, the big takeaway from it. To me, it reminds me so much of Scientology where like you, you know, you get to the end and then you have Xenu, who's like the problematic alien who's like, you know, throwing thetans on everybody. But I don't, I, this is, this is the type of shit that people are telling me to wake up to. And I, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, uh, it sounds like anti-Semiticism. It sounds like this long history of like convoluted right-wing theories. Yes, exactly. And what those theories are kind of about is like ignoring the um the like very obvious like things that are going on in terms of power because like we don't really need conspiracy theories um yes that's a lot what of this I'm stuff saying. is out there <laughs> yes like, it's very visible it's just that like people are not really like seeing it because of white supremacy mm -hmm. um but yeah i don't know yeah i, I mean and then it's also like everything is pr about pro <laughs> i watched one video where it was like like, did you know that Disney owns like this and this and this? And I was like, yes, of course I mm -hmm. did. Like, yes, it is like very, um, there's like a lot of it, things are like extremely manipulated and there is a lot of like um, distortion and what's the word corruption. There's a ton of corruption, of course. I mean that, but that's nothing new. That's mm -hmm. like, that's kind of what the status quo is, is the mm -hmm. corruption. And like, yes, there's propaganda. And yes, there's like, you know, all of these really, like people in power have these relationships that are ultimately all financially driven of how they can continue, you know, how people and products are pawns. But like, that's not conspiracy. That's just really what's happening. Um, yeah, I think people who want to ignore the like the power that's visible, like really look for conspiracy theories. But the book, like postcolonial astrology, is not about that. It's not like these convoluted theories or anything. It, no, like, all of the like I yeah, the, all the um, 
um, all the stuff that's in the book is like actually like pretty like obvious. Um, it's like, you know, like things that we hear about over and over again. So it just like helps contextualize, I guess, like a lot of the like symbolic, the symbolic layer of the West. Like, for example, like Trump saying, oh, like a bright light, it's going to kill these like pathogens, which are like ra really racially coded. So, um, yeah, like, you know, it like there's a layer of like the West and colonialism that's about storytelling and astrology is about storytelling. Um, I think it's Sylvia Winter who said that like the cosmologies of the West have always been ethno cosmologies. So it just, you know, it looks at the, um, it looks at Western astrology from that point of view. It's, there's nothing really like, oh, like there's this hidden like spiritual dimension, like, you know, in the West or anything like that. It just, it looks at, the West as a narrative, um, and it contextualizes that narrative so that we can critique it. Well, to me, I think that in a lot of ways that is actually antithetical to some of the things that are some of these DMs that I'm getting, because it allows, as you said, critique and, um, pr you know, it problematizes these things and allows us to you know, reconsider our our understanding and our relationship with them and how we can, you know, how we uh, might be and likely are contributing to white supremacy without even realizing it. And it's, you know, it, that type of thinking, that sort of problematizing things, I think is so deeply important. But I think what conspiracy theories do, it doesn't problematize things. It puts them in black and white terms. And it says, like, this is one way or the other way. And it doesn't allow for all of these complex things to just sort of exist simultaneously. And then for us to take to be accountable to try and know, figure them out and parse through them. And I think that being a critical thinker is allowing yourself to be uncomfortable with your thoughts and allowing things to be unknown and to accept that there's, you know, um, that you have to, you have to be willing to change your mind. And at least for me, like that is, you know, the ability to change my mind and to recognize where I had been, you know, where I had fucked up at different points has been, is so important and it's it, it's really like i don't know i mean i think that it it i think that advocating critical thinking right now um is going to be really significant for this movement into 2021 age of aquarius shit yeah yeah like on the conspiracy things like it's actually like a big part of american history and like just conspiracy theories like this is all yeah. off track but um, like I don't there's this essay called the paranoid style of American politics and it's actually like um, it takes place like in the right and left in the United States a lot and yeah. the reason is because the United States really wants to see um, like wants to think that there is like this big like foreign kind of like authoritarian power that's like always threatening it um, so it really works to support the military industrial complex. Um, yeah, but like that kind of like paranoia is like pretty normalized. Yeah, I think that with what we'll see with social media is the dissemination of it in a way that was 
that we haven't, you know, previous generations haven't been able to really experience. Maybe. Yeah. I was talking with my roommate about this and like, you know, the previous generations, like you could think about it, like they all believe that um, in predestination that like, oh, God's not here to save the quote unquote like savages. Like, so like there was a lot of misinformation like throughout history. Yeah. I mean, it's misinformation throughout history is such an important part of history. I feel yeah. like that would be a book, I, another book I would really read is like how much misinformation, how long was misinformation treated as like factual data. But I think, you know, it's someone in one of these DMs I got, someone was like, and don't use Snopes because they are, it's a Gates company. <laughs> and it was like, I don't know. I, 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 I well, personally, I have always been and I think there's quite a number of placements that really would point to this in my chart I feel like um because I have always been interested in sort of like you know esotericism and uh you, you know astrology is like a adjacent to that but you know esotericism and and different sort of like the Sufi philosophy or the Kabbalah philosophy like the mystical traditions that come from things um, I have found myself very frequently interacting with people who then become very radical about them. I, I guess I'm really trying to figure out how to show up in this moment in time and do the best job that I can in trying to encourage people to use astrology as a tool, but not as a prophecy, and to, to remember that all of the information that we need is really embedded through history and through processes like the book that you're going to be publishing at the exact right time you need to be publishing it. And also just through having this discourse, we can see that even our thinking of history, we need to be, you know, we need to be actively engaged in. We can't just be passively spewing out historical data as well. We have to also think about what is the context for this? Where does this come from? Why are we thinking in this way? And for all of the conspiracy theorists who are spending so much time on Netflix, like I think that there's just a wealth of information that is available if we just go into the past, you know? Yeah, I feel like contextualizing is pretty important. Uh, yes. Cause, yeah. Because then you really see the story within, like outside of the story. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the things that you would how would you recommend for somebody who's interested in sort of continuing to explore the the types of work that you are approaching you know how to create a broader scope of understanding astrology and the archetypes and the symbolism like what do you think until your book comes out how do you think we can begin that process for ourselves i guess just learning about colonialism like what it is because like I, you know, it's like kind of umbrella term. There's actually a lot of different types of colonialism. Um, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of people who are speaking and talking about it, and the information is like actually pretty accessible. Yeah, and then really thinking about like how it shows up in like your life and being willing to do some like hands-on learning. And in terms of um, how do you think that? when people are sort of start be as people do begin to recognize that they have 
I, you know, have in their own ways sort of perpetuated this colonial thinking and this ideology, like how does one begin to pull back from that? How to be actively anti-racist, you're saying? I guess. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like that's like, that's a very like different question for everyone because everyone has, um, well, everyone has a different life. So I guess looking at your life and seeing what are the opportunities for anti-racist work? Yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing and I'm so grateful for your, um, well, for also you aggregating all of these, these pieces of information and really putting them together in a cohesive way for us to be able to see and understand, especially in the astrological space, because, you know, I do think that like sort of in, uh, in the vein of this conspiracy stuff, like spiritual bypassing is one of those terms that I think has become so thrown around. It might as well be a hashtag, but it really is something I think that we is a big problem. And the way that I think of and define spiritual bypassing is just lack of accountability. It's sort of, you know, this light and love, like let's unify. It's all good. Like let's all come together. And it's like, no, <laughs> like that doesn't, that's, that is just, that's basically telling somebody who's having a panic attack if they've, if they've tried meditation before, you know, it's like, it's like as dismissive and unproductive as that, you know? Yeah. And it's also really fucked up because it's like, oh, like, you know, light and love. I mean, these are, this is really racially coded language. Interesting. Yeah. Like the meditation, like that came into the United States with, um, what's it like TM, transcendental meditation, which was part of this like new orientalism, um, yeah, it's like, I'm, yeah, I guess the book is like kind of trying to respond to spiritual bypassing uh, in some way. I think it's really, really important. And it's, you know, to be able to use this language of astrology to, you know, force, you know, self-improvement for self-awareness. Um, we can't just, I, I recently have been exploring this concept of like spirituality without advocacy is just bigotry because if you identify as a spiritual person, but you are unable to advocate for the real issues that are happening and the things that need to be discussed, then your spirituality is just, you know, I, I switch uh, supremacy. I switch bigotry, supremacy for bigotry so that it was a little more digestible for people but really it is. I mean, it's, if you, if one, an individual believes that their spiritual pursuit is more important than being able to really address what's going on, um, then that's a big problem. Yeah, for sure. Um, cause spirituality is always political. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's the most political thing of all, like it's spirituality has, is, even till now, I mean, it is like the epicenter of persecution. Yeah. And it's always also been used to enact a lot of violence. Definitely. I mean, all of most crusades and genocides are, I mean, all of it is under the auspices of some sort of spirituality, religion, you know, some sort of like other ideology of, of relating to something that is not, you know, in the etheric space. Well, it's always, I mean, I, I 
hope that this podcast works and that our recording is perfect, but I do always very much enjoy talking to you. And I just think that you are so brilliant and I'm, I'm so grateful that you're out here um, doing the work that you're doing and that you're making a book that we're going to be able to also utilize. And I think that it's, it's just going to be, I, I, I'm, I'm so excited for it to become a part of the, you know, it's a wonderful way, I suppose, for us to enter the age of Aquarius, really, with astrology. <laughs> it's, it feels very on the nose. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. It's Thank nice you talking so to much. you, too. So where can we find you? Uh, where, like, physically? Or, like, I, no, no, please yeah. don't. I don't want anyone to find <laughs> okay. you physically. <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, well, like, my website is alicesparklycat.com, A-L-I-C-E-S-P-A-R-K-L-Y-K-A-T. Um, and you can find me on Twitter or Instagram too. I'm trying to not use Twitter in the next few days. But. Okay, cool. So it, over the next few days, don't find Alice there. But I mean, no. I'm just not. Yeah, I'll be <laughs> not on it. <laughs> well, thank you so much again. It's it's such a pleasure, and we'll talk to you next time. Yeah, thanks for having me.